Welcome to Film Scene. I'm Zef, your host on this podcast by filmmakers and four cinema enthusiasts. Firstly, I'd like to give a shout out to Recording Radio Film Connection, a company that pairs film students to working professionals in the production industry. This podcast is sponsored by Alphabet City Films. Look out for our debut feature film, The Trouble, out now on Amazon Prime and 2B TV. For more info about that, check out our website at troublefilm.com. So this is the pilot episode of Film Scene, a podcast where we discuss cinema and interview filmmakers to get a behind the scenes glimpse on the creative process of making movies and where cinema enthusiasts such as ourselves go down the rabbit hole on our favorite movies and discuss scenes from our favorite films. So I'd like to introduce my guest today. We have quadruple threat Gregory Blake, who is a writer, director, actor, and producer. Greg's someone who I've collaborated with on several projects, including Greg's upcoming horror film, The Smiler, that we shot over the fall. And uh, we're in the advanced stages of post-production with it at this point. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me, Zeph. Quadruple threat. (laughs) (laughs) And we have the very talented cinematographer, Alex Gray, who I've closely worked with over the last six years. Alex DP'd on The Trouble, as well as The Smiler, Greg Short, that he wrote and directed, and uh, that I helped produce along with Christina Maldonado. Shout out to Christina. Aside from from DPing, Alex is also an outstanding colorist, and he does color grading. So welcome, Alex. It's good to be here, and congratulations on your new podcast. Appreciate it, guys. So I figured for the first episode, I kind of talked to these guys ahead of time about talking about some of our favorite scenes of all time. It's January 2nd right now. We just started 2020. So mm-hmm. some of the movies, we'll, we'll also be talking about some films that we liked in 2019. But I wanted to kind of jump in and talk about some of our favorite films from all time. And we're going to talk about some movies that we really liked in 2019, as well as some films that came out last year that we'd like to see that maybe we haven't seen. And I want to introduce something called the bunker list at the okay. end. So we'll hatch all that out. Yeah, nice. Do you want to get started talking <laughs> about your favorite films? Sure. <laughs> you know, Just a lot of jump in with both feet here, huh? I think so. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, I like so it. So, Alex, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll go with the uh, uh, Rear Window, um, Hitchcock film. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen. I've, you probably I've have definitely both. seen. Yeah, Rear probably seen it multiple Great times film. at this point. Um, yeah. So the scene where. His actor's name is Jimmy Stewart, right? That's Jimmy Stewart. And he is, so basically he, I mean, I don't know if this is spoilers are allowed or. Just, I guess, give an indication if it's a spoiler. Spoiler alert. So yeah, this is a spoiler (laughs) alert. This is definitely. It's like spoiler alert. This is definitely going to be a spoiler. Um, So basically, uh, he spends the majority of the film looking out his window, observing people, um, not being able to interact with them because he is injured. His leg is injured. And um, he witnesses a murder um, through a window, but he can't prove it to anyone. Everyone he talks to, um, including he's and he's a very social person. He's like a, a socialite, and but everyone he runs this by this idea by that he witnessed a murder. Um, they basically tell him he's crazy. He's nuts. He has too much time on his hands. He needs to like you know focus on something else. Um, but anyways, my favorite scene from that film which i think is like just so so good cinematography wise and in like just directing and and just is is the confrontation where um he the the person he's been accusing of the murder is in his apartment looking at him looking at jimmy stewart and jimmy stewart's in the chair and he's uh he has his leg you know his his leg is messed up he can't move he couldn't defend himself if he wanted to but he gets confronted and just the the tension in the scene and the atmosphere in the scene. Um, and they have his, his like, they, they really play with shadows in this scene. It's, and it's kind of like, um, it's just one of those, one of those moments, I think, when you think of a cinematic, uh, just a cin- very cinematic scene, it would be probably like what the, one of the first things I would think of. As, as in terms of composition, lighting, and uh, just just impact, and and how the director like conveyed that, you can tell that the film was building specifically to that. I think particular mm-hmm. scene, and it's just so tense and so good, and and the acting is just on point. So that would, I guess, that'll be, uh, that'll be my favorite, one of my favorite top three scenes. Excellent, mm. for sure, in my top three, and um, 
probably my favorite scene in any movie of all time is in the movie True Romance uh, um, with great, Christian, great Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, um, directed by the late Tony Scott. Tony Scott actually, yeah. rest in peace to Tony Scott. Rest in peace. There's a scene where Dennis Hopper, the great Dennis Hopper, um, played Christian Slater's dad. And he lives in a trailer. He's like a security guard. And these gangsters show up to his door. And Christopher Walken mm -hmm. is in the scene. I know exactly what scene. And they're inquiring about where his son is. And, you know, the dad obviously catches wind of who these guys are and what they're looking to do with his son. And they sit him down. They're interrogating him. They're roughing him up. And basically, he... Dennis Hopper goes into this monologue about how Sicilians basically aren't white, that the Moors conquered them. And I just love how it, it, and it, it's completely offensive, but what I love about the scene is the subtext of it, that he's just trying to get under their skin so that he, they end up, spoiler alert, they end up <laughs> killing Dennis Hopper so that he doesn't divulge the info about where his son is, you know? And it's just beautifully acted, amazingly lit just the compositions and James Gandolfini a, a younger James Gandolfini who played Tony Soprano is in the background and you know just the tension of the scene more and James Gandolfini in my life please <laughs> right there's not enough of that guy absolutely um so another actor who's you know died tragically young mm. and uh I just love that scene I just think it's it, it's exquisite filmmaking it is. That's a definitely one of one of the top moments in cinema history that I can think of as well. It's really good. It's an excellent one. Yeah. yeah. Good choice. Should I go? Let's just keep going. Yeah, I guess. All yeah, right. we'll we'll kind of do the rounds. And uh, okay. there's not really any rules whether it's you think it's the best scene okay. ever in cinema history or something that impacted you greatly or just like I, I feel like I would have to take weeks to like really catalog like a bunch of scenes. You know what I mean? Like sure. these are some things that, that I take these the just came things. into my mind. I was that, like, oh, that's that, kind that's of what, what it's about. It's just about. kind of a discussion of scenes that are just that you love or, or yeah. impactful or you moved you in some sort of way or so stuck with you. My favorite film of, I think it was 2015 was when this was released. Um, uh, Drive is the yeah. film. I'm a huge uh, Ryan Gosling head. 2011? God damn, I'm old. Your producer just <laughs> <laughs> put up. I feel so old right now. Shout yeah, out right. to our producer, 2011. Jonathan D. Filippo. Why hey. did I think it was 2015? Thank you, John. That's weird. All right, well, whatever. Uh, 2011 um, was one of my favorite, my favorite film that year. And um, I was really big into Ryan Gosling at the time. I still am. Let's be real. <laughs> I just love every actor. Yeah. I love everything the guy makes. And um, this was for me, I think probably peak Gosling. Just, just like the perfect role for him in every way uh, conceivable. And uh, you know, this probably was one of the films that sparked this like thing that seems to follow him. Like people feel like criticizing him. So they come up with, well, he, he, he doesn't always have lines in movies or whatever. And sometimes he just like looks at the camera. I'm like, if a guy, if the guy is that fucking talented that he can draw you in without a fucking line, like that's something to admire, not something to criticize, but I, that's a whole other. I completely agree. Yeah. Totally. yeah I'd like, I, I, I'm a great admirer of his. Um, and that's one of the reasons I admire him is just, he doesn't need to say a whole lot and you still feel like you're experiencing what he's experiencing. And drive is a perfect example of that. There's so much happening in that film without much being said. And the scene that I'm thinking of um, that really sort of exemplifies that is uh, the real human being scene where mm -hmm. the song real human beings playing and they're, they're driving. He, it starts with this great line where he, he they're in this car there's clearly this romantic tension between the two of them. There's, you know, he's spending time with this woman's um, family, basically her, her and her son. And like they're spending time together and there's clearly something growing. And he makes this decision to sort of let down his walls a little bit. And he's like, you want, he asks her if she wants to see something. And she's like, totally game. And so they go on this drive through LA and they, they drive into a ravine and they, they spend all this 
they do all this little montage of, of things together, this things that he presumably likes to do alone. And so he's sort of like welcoming her into his world a little bit, um, probably trying to show off a little bit, but just, you know, it's just, it's just this beautiful, intimate thing. And it's, it's shared like a music video. There's, there's this great song playing and it tells you so much about the characters in two minutes. You get an entire love affair in two minutes. It's fucking fantastic. And I, I've always, that's always stuck out to me as one of my favorite sequences in film. Um, which is funny because I'm usually a person who really loves dialogue. Like I really, I really gravitate towards dialogue heavy stuff. I, I tend to make dialogue heavy stuff. Like it's something that I really like. So it's weird for me that I would pick something that is basically like the opposite of that. But it's, that's also um, a challenge for me if I'm making things is to try to think more like that because it, it is so tremendous. It's such a tremendous delivery system for um, character building and and for feeling. And and it's something that you shouldn't ignore when you're trying to make something. So it's, it's, that's always stuck out to me as like one of my favorites. Absolutely. That's the power of cinema. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cinema is so many things, but like that, that's something that I just, I should never forget while I'm making stuff. But also while I'm watching stuff, it's 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 easy to just get pulled into stuff like that. Um, that's one of my favorites for sure, for sure. It's a good one. Is that is that my turn? It's your, your turn, turn, Alex. Okay, so I'm gonna go with uh, a film that as soon as I say the name of the film, I think everyone in the room is gonna know the scene. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is a film that I think just the whole film is probably one of my favorite films. Um, just because it's it's kind of like it's a western film. Mm-hmm. However, it's shot the way it's shot and edited, and the music and everything that drives the film is horror. It's like it's very it's very interesting. Uh, it's just a very interesting combination. So the name of the film is There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. And now everyone just knows already knows the scene yeah. where uh, Daniel Day Lewis walks all the way across the room <laughs> and drinks Paul Dano's milkshake. <laughs> so I think that is one of the most memorable scenes, not even specifically mm-hmm. for cinematography, which is interesting because this film is one of the most beautifully shot films mm-hmm. I think available today. Um, but just because of, again, it's the buildup from the whole film between these two characters. And this is the, the climax of that. This is like how each of their different paths have led to this point. And what Daniel Day-Lewis, just his performance, and Paul Dano, is like, Paul Dano's a phenomenal actor, but actor, but just just the way he delivers it is just so Looney Tune. <laughs> but then at the same time, perfect. And it, I feel like it really does kind of, it just, it, it creates, it just creates, it's, it's just, it, you don't expect it. Like, you don't expect this huge, long dialogue. And a, and a bowling, I think it's a bowling alley. Yeah, it's a bowling alley, for sure. You just, you, you don't see it coming. Uh, it kills him with a mil- bowling pin. Yeah, not... <laughs> a bowling alley in his house. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you don't he see... He beats it. him to death with a bowling you, pin. You know, yes. Yeah, it's exactly. crazy. Spoilers. Spoiler, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> for, for this movie. But yeah. indeed, so after the big long speech, um, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis beats so Paul good. Dano to death with a bowling pin. But Paul <laughs> Dano doesn't have a good fate in most of the film season. That's true. <laughs> that's another, you know, that scene is another one of those... Another scene where it the the conversation surrounding something like that kind mm-hmm. of overtakes what it actually was. Mm-hmm. Like and there's a reason it left an impact on so many viewers that we make jokes about it. It's not even the most well shot film in mm-hmm. cinemas. It's not like you don't remember it for the way it's shot, but you remember it for the performance, the dialogue, the shock value, just every and 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 again, the whole film is leading up to that point mm-hmm. between those two characters. And there's such strong characters like they're such like Mm -hmm. strongly built and emphasized like care like their their development throughout the film is perfect they're um just just the the, the everything that surrounds them in the atmosphere into what made them who they are is so apparent and it's so on their sleeve and at that moment it's just like that 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 just you knew you felt it was coming you knew it was coming but you didn't expect it to happen 
that specific way. It's just such a good, it's, it's a really phenomenal scene. And I just, I, I think, film. yeah. yeah. yeah I is. drink yeah. your milkshake. <laughs> I walk the, all the way across the room <laughs> and I drink your milkshake. And the, you, the best part is it gave everybody drinking milkshakes an opportunity to make a joke yeah. for the rest of yeah. their life, you know? I, I think Still that Still your will, friend's milkshake? I think that scene, I think, will, <laughs> will stand the test of time, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I guess uh, one scene that's really impactful to me is from the film Hurley Burley, directed by uh, Tony Drazen, Tony actually, Drazen. with um, Sean Penn and Robin Wright. There's a scene where they're driving, uh, Sean Penn and Robin Wright, and just to give some context, she's she's sort of dating Sean Penn's character, and Sean Penn, in the, in the film, he's, his roommate is Kevin Spacey. And she's kind of dating that character as well. He's like, hey, like, where do you want to, what do you want to go out to eat? Like, what kind of food do you want? Do you want, like, French? Or do you want, um, do you want to go to this other place? Do you want to go to Japanese, like, have Japanese food? And I might be messing that up, actually. <laughs> uh, but but it's something like that. It's two different styles of cuisine. She's like, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't care either way. He's like, well, which one is it? They're very different kinds of food. He's <laughs> like, do you want to go to the French place or do you want to go to the Japanese place? She's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, and clearly the scene is about something else. It's about his frustration about her indecision of whether she wants to choose him or choose his friend to be with. And then he just basically flips out. And I just... <laughs> I just think it's the performance is so outstanding and it uh, I've only seen that movie once honestly but it it just stuck with me the performance in that scene was so impactful and the subtext of what was going on was so apparent and I think to me that is really interesting filmmaking is when you know there's there's absolute subtext mm. embedded in the scene where I still have to see that film I haven't seen it yeah mm. good, good good movie I'll definitely watch that Good so, book. so that that's a scene that really stuck with me. Um, I have another one. Go for <laughs> it. <laughs> um, it's your last one, Greg. My last choose one. wisely. This is th this is number three all time scenes. No, I. So this is another one that's been in my mind recently. So it made sense for me to talk about it because I have been thinking about this film recently. Um, so. This is an early mumblecore film uh, starring Mark Duplass and Greta Gerwig. Um, it's one of the only Was it films Kissing on the Mouth? No. It's one, it was one of the, I think they did three together. Hannah Takes the Stairs? They did Hannah Takes the Stairs. It's this one. Um, Joe Swanberg directed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think they did three films together. Anyway, uh, Hannah Takes the Stairs is the film. Um, just a... Uh, Mumblecore is extremely hit or miss filmmaking. Um, I, I happen to really uh, enjoy Mumblecore films, but it's definitely like, even for a fan, I think even a fan can admit like sure. more than half the time. It's I agree. I'm in the same almost boat. unwatchable. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. But but uh, Hannah takes the stairs is what everybody who ever tries to make one of these films is aiming for. It's it's just a masterfully crafted and uh, beautifully performed. And just a just a really elegant film, and um, uh, Hannah takes the stairs has this this moment. Um, it's a big breakup scene. It's like I use that in quotes. The big the big breakup scene, right? Like a lot of movies have the big breakup scene. Um, yeah, I just watched one last night. Uh, Marriage Story has a, a big breakup scene, sort of so to speak. Um, there are a lot of these films, you know, a lot of films have them. Um, and they are often very effective, very, very, you know, powerful to watch, very moving. Why, why I like um, this scene in Hannah Takes the Stairs so much is that um, it feels so real. Like a breakup where there isn't a lot of screaming and shouting. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, big grand statements or, or even tears. It's just two people realizing that it's over and trying to find the words to be like, we're out, you know, like she, she sort of starts the conversation and she's kind of dancing around it. And you can tell instantly that he knows what's happening. 
because because he kind of stiffens up and eventually he starts to he's like well i'm breaking up with you because you can't do it yourself and it just feels so real the conversation feels so real and unsatisfying and i think that's what a lot of films get wrong in breakup scenes is there seems like there's finality at the end um, and again, that can, al- that can always work. It can always be very powerful to watch. But what makes this one so compelling to me is that at the end, you just feel like there's still this feeling hanging over these people. Like, it's just very unsatisfying. And I think breakups are unsatisfying. Like, there's really no point except for way down the line when you realize you're, you're not in love with that person anymore or something where you're like, oh, okay, this is over. It doesn't happen in one conversation, especially that conversation. That conversation is usually heavy and full of, you know, unfinished sure. business. And I think this film just totally nails that. Nails it. And I've always that always had that in my head as like a gold standard for that kind of type of scene. So that's my pick. Yeah, number three. That's a good pick. I w- and I know for a fact that that film was heavily improvised. So oh, I yeah. wonder. Yeah. I'm. I'm so. I would love to know what their process was or mm. if they just had kind of that in an outline or if that scene was a little bit more written. Yeah. You know, it makes I, me curious. I'm always curious about that too with, with Mumblecore because there's, there's oftentimes where you, you, you're watching it and you're like, well, this is clearly written. I mean, like, and then there's other times where, you know, you're, it's, it, the, the, the lines are really blurred and that's what you're going for. And yeah. that scene is, is perfect that way. It's, it's yet, Another movie I have yet to see, so this oh, is yeah. great. I'm That's getting a like a whole list of, yeah. of things. A cin- I need to watch. Cinematographer will almost never like a mumblecore. I, I I'll tell you this right now because because that that is usually not a focus of the mm. film. Right, it's usually takes a back seat. So there will be a lot of scenes where you're only seeing like someone's nose and like part of their eye or something, and and there's like dialogue happening. It would drive you crazy. But if you <laughs> could if you could get past that, yeah, and just like watch the film for like what it's designed to be, you might find yourself really it's, drawn into it's something. It's funny you source. say that because I think The Trouble was written and initially as a mumblecore. Yeah, it was. It, in fact, it was. Um, and then but, I came but in. But I, but I know. Shot it completely <laughs> well, differently than <laughs> a mumblecore would be shot probably. Partially true. I, I knew that we were going to depart from mumblecore in that sort of sense because I love... I love, and so even earlier on, we were joking around and calling it Bronx Core because <laughs> we were like, hey, this is going to be something different than Mumblecore. This is like our answer to Mumblecore because what I love about Mumblecore is just the improvisational style and the kind of punk rock attitude toward the filmmaking. Like, hey, you know, we're going to, we're not going to wait for like a, a studio to green light us. We're just going to take a camera and make this thing happen. And, and, I, and I love that. Mm-hmm. But as somebody that appreciates, <laughs> shot compositions and cinematography. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if we could take that kind of mumblecore attitude toward filmmaking, but still kind of make it something, you know, actually that's shot sort of well. Well, th- which is what the Duplass brothers do now. I mean, they, they have sure. absolutely mastered the form, the art form. So now they do combine a lot of, a lot of the, their initial goals with mumblecore but but tying it into a nice little netflix bowl bowl right. which is what i think you were trying to do with the trouble so the form has sort of evolved mm-hmm. yeah. definitely yeah yeah so another scene that uh th- this is sort of maybe this is more of a sequence than a particular scene right because you know a lot of people might acknowledge this whole sequence um, in Stanley Kubrick's 2001, the space odyssey mm-hmm. when the eight men discover oh my the God. obelisk. When I saw that. So let me give you a little backstory to that film. I think it's a film that's only fully appreciated on the big screen. Can I pause you for a second? Absolutely. It's relevant to what you just said. Have you seen it in 4k? Uh, <laughs> I have it yes. in 4k. Yeah. I, I think it's fabulous. Really? Actually, you know what? I haven't watched it in 4K. You should no. come over and watch yeah, it in my place. Yeah, be uh, happy okay. to. Because I was so disappointed that um, I bought the Stanley Kubrick like, Blu-ray box set. Yeah. And then I found out when I was displaying it on my TV, it actually tells you the resolution. You could look up the settings. It was only 720. And you could okay. tell it's, seven, you, you could tell it's yeah. not fully you HD. See it in 4K. Like, oh, man, it's so pretty good, man. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. But I did see a restoration that's... It, at the, it was at the IFC Center. Oh, that's the way to like cool. 50 year yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, anniversary. <laughs> to be clear, I'm not implying that <laughs> my television is going to be better than the IFC Center. But I just, no, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's, it's at least worth, comparable worth to the seeing the theater, you know, or at least, you know, the next best thing, yeah. you could say, yeah. right? So I tried to watch that movie numerous times. Like, even in the seventh grade, I remember my teacher uh, showing it to that in Earth Science, and I just was mm-hmm. just, like, tuned out. I watched <laughs> it on TV, and I just... It didn't quite resonate with me. And then until a few years ago, then I saw it on the big screen at the IFC Center uh, for, I think, they were doing at the 50-year anniversary of it. Yeah. And I was just, I was blown away of just, not just how that movie just holds up. It's, it was just so far ahead of its time mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's incredible. So in the beginning of the film, there's the sequence that's called the, the Dawn of Man sequence where you have, mm-hmm. um, it, it's like the precursor to the cavemen that, you know, they're, they're, they're not quite evolved into Homo sapiens yet, you know, that there are these eight men. And they discover this thing that's like an obelisk, you know, it's just this black quartz structure that's, you know, not just a natural stone. It was clearly, it's a monolith. It, that's actually what it is. It's a monolith. So when they discover the monolith, they're just intrigued by it. And it's just so incredible. And then all of a sudden, they discover that they could use a bone as a weapon. And then that kind of changes the evolution of the species. And then there's the famous transition, which is, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinion, the greatest transition in cinema history is where they toss the bone up in the air and then it does a cutaway and it's spinning around and it does a cutaway into like man's in space, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're like a space faring spectacular and it's just, it's, it's completely outstanding. And, you know, something that even when I think about it, just kind of, it's like, wow. Yeah. You know? Chills. Yeah. Chills. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. So that's, that, that's definitely on my, a good one my top list and, yeah. I, and I have a lot of others <laughs> but, but you know yeah. those are th- three scenes that I thought would be worth mentioning one of my favorite parts about that too is that it's a movie that you think about like all this other stuff that happens in that movie and sometimes you forget that there's this whole ape story in the beginning and when you rewatch it it's like oh man I forgot all about this. like not in <laughs> like not in a bad way not like a it's a forgettable it's like it feels like a whole separate film almost the journey right it's like a yeah. short film starting the yes. film yeah. and it's it's all so tightly crafted yeah. just Very, amazing yeah it's so amazing and he yeah. used rear projection as a technique which was like a precursor to like doing chroma key and green screen this mm-hmm. is like before people were doing green screen and that sort of thing kubrick was just a master of using rear projection mm-hmm. get was images it? in the background was it, uh, I think, Woody Allen who said um, every time he watched the film, it got better for him? Like, yes. first time he saw it, he hated it. Second time he saw it, he's like, okay. Third time, this is amazing. And then the, I guess the final time he saw it, he's like, this is a masterpiece of filmmaking. That's how I felt. And mm-hmm. that time seeing it at the IFC Center, it just felt like every scene that seemed a lot more esoteric to me and just kind of it's like, hey, well, what's that about? It's like everything connected. Everything yeah. was like, oh, I, I, I get that. I you know, I feel the impact of that. That's mm. completely amazing. The Pan Am spaceship? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Yeah. yeah. Alex, what's your number my, three? My, uh, okay, so this is actually a film I watched recently with Zeph. Yeah. Um, I've, I had seen it numerous times prior, but I really wanted Zeph to see it. I actually wanted you to see it as well, but uh, I think you were busy at the time. Um you guys watch this at the place? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You were invited. I was invited. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember this. Calling you out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank yeah. you. That's <laughs> permanently burned but into the tape It's here, a so film it's I think great. I think every aspiring director needs to watch. I think anyone who wants to be a director... Are these all just digs at me? Is, <laughs> no, no. This is, this, it's going to feel okay. that way because okay. you should have shown up. But yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's not too late to see it. Yeah, it's not yeah. too late. It's okay. never too late. Yeah. Uh, it is a kind of a hard find. Uh, film to find ah, yeah like it's not on any streaming services currently and that's probably because his other film is making the rounds um in the theater so true uh so it's a korean film um called memories of murder and the scene in particular it's uh, again this is like probably this is in my top three films of all time so not just film scenes this is right. like one of the films that i would say 
inspires me to be a filmmaker in general because it, it's it's just so well crafted such a well crafted um movie and and just everything in the film from the sense of humor to how dark it can get also to uh just character development in general um this so the scene uh it, it, again spoilers i guess because this is at the very end of the film and after every all the antics in the f uh, that take place prior um fail to catch a serial killer because the so the film is about a serial killer right who is um it's it's i think it's South Korea's first documented serial killer, I believe. And I think that's what it follows. At least it's the, the most famous uh, serial killer in South Korea. And, and the film is about how um, he evades the police and the failures of the police and um, just everything that led up to kind of, of um, how the killer was able to get away with what he was able to get away with. Um, so... The scene in particular that that is just like blew me away was um, at the very end, where um, he one of the main detectives in the film, who is also one of the worst detectives I think, in uh, in the history of detectives, um, has since quit his job because it was just the whole thing just got to him too much and he's on to like doing salesman stuff or something like that, and uh, but he takes a detour to the spot where the film first started, so. He gets out, and, and if, if you, I guess if you've seen the film, um, it starts with uh, a body that is shoved in, I think it's a sewer pipe, some kind of piping, but it's a dead body shoved in some, some sort of piping. And um, at the, so at the end of the film, he makes his way back to where the journey started, which was the same sewer pipe. He's looking at it, and um, I, think it's a, I think it's a little girl, right, that asks him, what are you looking for? Yeah. And so he... Uh, he 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 kind of does it's hard to explain he does this uh kind of take right and then he uh he looks just directly into the camera at the at the end of the film just directly into it and and it sounds unimpactful but when you really feel the scene and when you're in the moment of the scene and you understand what it means is that um basically because at the time the killer still hadn't been caught and so what this director wanted to do was make you feel uh like the killer was in the audience and he's looking out beyond the screen, beyond the scope of the film into the audience for, for the killer, because that's, because, uh, that's, that's where, I mean, the, the killer is, mm. he's, he's watching right. the film, mm. you know? And I thought that that's just one of the most impactful, like just, just uh, go see it. Super, I can't even, <laughs> yeah, I can't even, I can, describe I can vouch I'm, having, I'm, I'm having a hard time describing this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, but it's phenomenal. It's just it's such really a phenomenal, phenomenal film, mm. you know? I mean, and that brings to a greater point. It's worth discussing these scenes, and it's intriguing, really intriguing discussing these scenes, but I, I think the power of filmmaking is actually watching them mm -hmm. in the context to the film itself and then f really feeling the whole breadth mm -hmm. of the scene, mm -hmm. you know. Um, they recently caught the killer, by the way. Yeah. The, the, the spoiler literally, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> really? In Very real life, they actually caught him, like, just literally a couple months ago. Yeah, so as recently, yeah. The funny thing about it was Alex had mentioned... He's like, in the time that I told you to see this movie to the time that you actually saw this movie, and, you know, this movie came out almost, yeah. how many years ago? 15 years ago? Yeah, in the 90s. Like, yeah. yeah, Or, like, early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah, 2003. That's yeah, it, 2003. So like 17 yeah. years ago at this point, Yeah, you know? Wow. And so in the last few months, they had just caught the killer. So That's I thought that incredible. was kind of crazy, yeah. just that yeah. Alex had said, hey, see, watch this movie, and that was, like, six months ago. <laughs> and when I finally saw the movie, in that interim of time they'd actually caught the real killer the That's killer is incredible. no longer in the audience yeah, yeah. Huh. he's in prison now yeah so i have no reason Rightfully to see so. the film is what you're saying no yeah. watch the film watch <laughs> the film <laughs> uh, i just readjusted my mic can you hear me okay still absolutely okay sweet the next topic i want to start covering is films that we've seen in 2019 that impacted us and then films that maybe we haven't seen that we quickly just want to mention that those are a few films that i definitely on my list of films to see Okay. Would you want to start with one or start with how do you want to do it? I guess start with... Uh, we had a little conversation off the record about, about my list being kind of weird. Oh, true. Do you, so, I... So, you know, all of our lists are probably a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, but just three three uh, films that really stuck out with you. Like, stuck out to it me. It doesn't have to be like, hey, those are... It I doesn't wanna, have to be like an I exact state, state officially. This is not necessarily a recommendation of like my favorite film from that from the year. If yeah. I discuss like 
something like happy death day to you. <laughs> okay. It's not because I thought it was like the, one of the better movies. It might not even make a top 10 list for me, but I have a compelling reason for you to maybe watch it. We'll go for it. Okay. It sounds like you're talking about it already. Yeah. Well, I guess I kind of did. Didn't yeah. I? Uh, <laughs> so have you guys seen happy death day? I have not. I don't think okay. I've seen it. No. It's basically so that this was happy death day to you is a sequel to happy death day. Um, which is basically a movie with, it's like reskinning Groundhog Day with a college age girl who is going out to party one night and gets murdered. And she wakes up and she's all of a sudden stuck in a loop of getting murdered over and over. Wow. On her birthday. Yeah. Okay. So she's no matter going, what she does, no matter what she does, she just keeps getting killed. And is it by the same person? Well, that's the whole movie's about. Okay. Just trying to figure out who, this, who the fuck is killing me. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting well, it sounds, premise. It sounds intriguing. Yeah, it's a very cool premise. You would think, based on the previews and stuff, that it's a completely avoidable film, just in terms of like, oh, this looks like, you know, you're schlocky or whatever. Um, but it's surprisingly heartfelt, surprisingly well-crafted. Like, it's just a really fun, fun movie to watch. So Happy Death Day to You is a sequel to that. Now, you'd be thinking, all right, well... This is clearly a cash grab. This is going to be a piece of trash, you know. Um, but I was in a mood to watch it this year, and so I, I checked it out. It really surprised me. It's like a surprising film because it takes it. Re- it kind of starts in a way that you think it's going to start, and I don't want to say too much because I really do recommend watching both of these films. Um, uh, and it just goes a whole other direction. And it's like fun. It's like fun the way it goes. And it totally surprises you. And it gets a little little wonky towards the end, the way you know sequels often do. But it, it really, really worked for me. And it was very funny. And like I said, heartfelt in ways that are very surprising. That I teared up during both movies, um, which is a challenge for me as a as a like I, I'm I'm I am brought to tears often by art, but it really takes a lot for me to get there. Like I don't I don't give it. Any, I don't give it an easy. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, this these two movies really got to me. I don't know what you know. There's some scenes that she has with um, other characters in her life, and and they're all really surprisingly um, intimate and beautiful. And it's just a really cool little set of movies. And I know that the director wants to make a third, but I don't know they're they're ever going to let him. But um, <laughs> it's just unfortunate because it's a surprising surprising film. I would definitely recommend checking if you're going to watch. Happy Death Day to you. You absolutely have to watch Happy Death Day first, though. Well, you've convinced me. I'm going to check <laughs> yeah, out both of them. They're fun watches. They're, they're not the kind of watch where it's like, I'm recommending a three-hour, like, you know, tearjerker or something. It's it's an hour and a half. It's fun. You, you pop it on. It's a really good good couple of movies. Nice. Blumhouse pictures. Awesome. Yeah. That's that's my, num- my first... <laughs> not once upon a time in Hollywood. How, how about you, Alex? <laughs> so, so this Happy is movies that came out in 2019. 2019. Notable, so notable, notable films. Notable films. Like, wow, that came out last year, and I really enjoyed that. Has anyone seen Joker? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think everybody's seen Joker at this point. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And that's that a just a given. That's not. Good well, that's. So just not. I don't that's think it's <laughs> just a given. I think uh, it should be talked about because it's uh. not. It's not on my list, although it should be. It's because it was so impactful. To be clear, that would totally be in like my top five right. if, it were just, if that's the list we were doing. But, yeah. you know, and I'm happy yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. It was, Obviously, it's a great It was film. so good. Yeah. yeah. Is that your film? Should we get into it? Yeah, let's just do it. Let's get into it. <laughs> let's do right. it. That's what the people paid um, for. Yeah. yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Very good choice. Walking Phoenix. Why, why, well, did you, why did you pick it, Alex? I, could, I just watched it on Christmas. I, rented, or I uh, rented it and ordered some Chinese food. I know the best way to see it would probably be in cinema, but I do have Dolby on my TV, like Dolby Vision mm-hmm. HDR color. So it looks nice. Probably not as good as in theaters, but um, yeah, the film, it's a great, it's a great movie. I think it's a phenomenal film. I love Joaquin Phoenix's take and the director's take on the, on the Joker, um, who is uh, from the conception of the Joker, since he has been portrayed on television, it's usually, you think Mark Hamill, you think mm-hmm. like this sarcastic, really witty, overly confident character. So to see Joaquin and uh, what was the director's name again? Todd Phillips. Blake, Todd Phillips. So yeah. to see Joaquin and Todd Phillips like work together to craft this entirely different take where he's he's just so pathetic. Even when he gains his confidence, he's there's still a semblance of who he used to be in there. You know, there's this like kind of really beat down, pathetic, real 
character and he doesn't feel like a comic book villain at all so it was really interesting to see a character that makes sense not to have like kind of the the usual trappings of mm. an overly confident co- comic book villain uh especially with his origins where he hasn't built up to that point yet mm. and and it was just it was a really really good film and i know it a Great. little bit yeah it's a little bit Joaquin Phoenix, the film, for sure. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <definitely. laughs> which which I'm completely okay with. <laughs> which for the record, I, I he's one of my I, favorite I, actors. Exactly. It's it's just. Have so you good. seen the documentary? That's literally that. <laughs> yes, I have. I have. I oh, have. it's no, highly, yeah, it's phenomenal. That's I'm familiar with it. I've just yeah. never actually watched it. it. It's yeah. hilarious. Don't watch it as a documentary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's it's more because I don't gotcha. think it actually is. Yeah, it's more of a performance. It's more of a performance piece. Yeah. But it. It, it, it's a great film. I think it, it, for 2019 to, to, to have a film like that in it, I think is extremely important Absolutely. as well because cinema currently is veering away from that, especially when everywhere you look, it's superhero movie after superhero movie after superhero movie. So oh, that's t- where I want to stop yeah. you oh. because <laughs> that's one of the most compelling things about Joker to me Yeah, <laughs> is that I totally feel that way. Yeah. That like I'm, I am so oversaturated with superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, a bunch of, you know, 30-something filmmakers sitting in a room are going to start to like, man, I'm so tired of superhero <laughs> film. Why doesn't someone finance my indie picture where I yeah, <laughs> talk right, about right. fucking, yeah. you know, the death of my grandmother or whatever. But like the, um, the it's true though. It is, it's just a bit much. It's getting yeah. to be a bit much. There's it is. television series, there's web series, there's major motion pictures. You don't think of Joker as a superhero no, film, but it fucking is. There, there goes our Marvel ma- deal, yeah, guys. That, well, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not getting a Marvel it's deal. A, I, it's, a, it's Taxi Driver wearing a superhero movie. Exactly, yes. and that's what makes it so brilliant. Yeah, is that? And again, I've seen alternate. One of one of the movies on my list that we're probably not going to get to is is Brightburn, which is another sort of alternative oh, right, right. alternative superhero story. And there's a reason these things are really compelling to watch is because they are, we are a little oversaturated. So it's natural that films like this are coming out or, or um, Bad Boys. Have you, have you seen this television series? No. Yeah. Or, I may have are been. talking about The Boys? Oh, The, the Boys. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Good, sorry. Good, good, yeah. The Boys was great. On cut that out. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the, the Boys. Like these sort of alternate takes. Yeah. Um, Joker... It, is head and shoulders above it's all. It's cool. Those. Also, it's I've been following Todd Phillips' career. Shout out to my boy Jeff Cutler because I was talking to him on the phone. I was like, "Hey, you know who directed Joker? It was Todd Phillips. Hangover that directed yeah. not just The Hangover yeah. in old school, yeah. but he directed a really underground. It became sort of you know a cult hit. This documentary when he was fresh out of NYU film school about this shock rocker named Gigi Allen, and the name of the documentary was called Hated. Mm. And it was it was a documentary that I saw when I was 14 years old because my friend Jeff had it. And, uh, you know, then it's kind of cool watching this director's career progress over the years and kind of what he's ascended to, you know, mm-hmm. like the kind of filmmaking that he's doing now. And it's um, so that's pretty incredible. Gigi Allen is yeah. definitely someone you don't want to put into Google image search. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. sure what's going to pop up. You don't yeah, want you don't exactly. Want to do not do that. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, soil alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, good choice. Very um, good choice. Uncut Gems. That's, that's right. in my 2019. Now, does it count if I saw it? Oh, wait, no, I did see it last well, it day of 2019. It, it came out, it. Yeah, it came yeah, out yeah. in 2019. So okay. it's a 2019 <laughs> film, you know. Um, yeah. That that blew me away. And, you know, and also interesting to see how the Safdie brothers, their career is progressing. It's been Absolutely. banned since they did Good Time. Yep. Greg put me onto that movie. I did. Yeah. Thanks for the credit, yeah. public credit. <laughs> and, uh, I, saw it, I remember seeing it on my birthday two years ago, and it blew yeah. me away. Yeah. I saw it again in the theater and. uh so if you if you're not familiar with, if you're only familiar with the Safdie brothers I'm just saying this in general for if you're listening to this some point in the future and you're only familiar with the Safdie brothers via uncut gems you must see good time yes must see good time crucial watching it's yep. a stupendous film yeah uh, and if you like uncut gems you will absolutely love good time absolutely and uncut gems what I thought was interesting about it without wanting to give it away any spoilers since it's fresh in the theater, but it did. I like when a film surpasses the trailer. Hmm. Uh, so I thought the trailer made me want to watch the movie because, you know, you see Adam Sandler in this really intriguing sort of role where he's not playing 
just a caricature of himself. He's, you know, he's, he's actually getting into this character performance. And uh, from the first moments of the film, this is already bigger than the scope of the trailer was. You know, this is already a lot more cinematic and, and interesting. And, you know, it just, um, I thought it was just pure cinematic gold. And I think a career performance from Adam Sandler, I, I think he hasn't done a film a performance this strong since, you know, probably Punch Drunk Love, honestly. That's a really good film as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement. So on that, all that. That's, that's all I'll say. About yeah. So what else, Greg? <laughs> uh, so let me think here. Um, I have this big, long list. I'm trying to decide what I want to talk about next. I'm torn between... I'll give you guys the choice, okay? I'm going to give you the choice between Alita... Battle Angel and Midsummer. Midsummer. You want to talk about Midsummer? No, wait, uh, you stole one of mine. <laughs> Alita? <laughs> no, Midsummer. Oh no, then you talk about Midsummer. I'll talk about Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> okay, there we we'll kill you two do birds. Alita. I'll do kill I'll two do birds. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is another one of these films where uh, I know I guess that's that's going to be the theme of my picks here. It's like <laughs> uh, not what you would expect. Alita Battle Angel. It it was. Uh, I saw the pre. I didn't know anything about the anime. I didn't know anything about the movie being made. I knew nothing. I just happened to see the preview one day, and I was like, "This is really interesting looking. Like, just a really weird little." It kind of drew me in, so I went and saw it in theaters, and um, again, just a surprising movie. It just surprisingly had some. I didn't tear up during this one, just to be clear, <laughs> but it was surprisingly heartfelt. You know, the characters were, it's really a story that is geared more towards a younger crowd, I think. But um, I found myself really on board with a lot of what was happening. Even some of the teenage angsty stuff didn't really bug me the way teenage angst usually bugs me in films. Like I'm watching a show or something. I'm just like, Ugh, whatever. But <laughs> but this one really got me and I, it took me along for the ride. Um, but I think the reason I'm bringing it up on a, on a, cinema, a, cin a cinema podcast would be um, for the underappreciated level of excellence that they achieved in CGI, okay? Like, I watch, I am a hardcore, like, hipster douchebag when it comes to CGI. Like, I whine about CGI constantly. I whine about it pretty much any opportunity I get. I, if I see CGI in a film, I'm almost always tuned out. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a big fan of CGI. Let's use it just, guys. It's, it's, I don't know if it's maybe the way my brain is wired, although I play video games, so you wouldn't think. Anyway, I don't know what it is, but I see CGI, and I'm just instantly, like, out. I'm just out. I don't feel whatever's happening on screen. Alita Battle Angel s succeeds in a way that's hard to describe without actually watching the movie. It is dripping in CGI. Like, there are characters who are, clearly it's a guy's face has been molded onto it, but it works so well, and it's so beautifully crafted. It's, it's a, it's a must-see, I think. Was just the CGI better than Cats? Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, not even, it's not, well, that's actually, that's a great example of, of a, a film that doesn't do it. Yeah, but uh, um, Alita Battle Angel is worth a view just for the sake of watching how good CGI can be done. Like it, it gave me hope for the future. If I'm like, okay, it's inevitable that we're headed this direction. It's going to get only going to get worse. So if they can make movies like Alita, then I, I might find some films once in a while that I'm like totally connected to, even if it's CGI. Um, they just really achieved greatness, I think, in that film with that stuff. So nice. that would be my nice. yeah. Excellent. I yeah. definitely want to see that film. Yeah. I haven't definitely had a chance to, to see it yet. But Again, it's not something I'd put on a list, like top 10 or whatever. But if in terms of like interesting things I saw this year, that's definitely on the list. Noteworthy film. Yeah, nice. for sure. On to, uh, okay. So I'm going to, I guess I'm taking from one of one of the films from Greg's list. <laughs> <laughs> well, my list, no, you're uh, not saying. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. Okay. So the film is Midsummer, And if you haven't seen it yet, you have to. It's just one of the films. Whether you love it or hate it, it's definitely a film you absolutely have to see. Yeah. Uh, don't take your kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Noted. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely on my list yeah, of things to watch. This is actually, it's by in 2019. From the director of Hereditary. Yes, from the director of Hereditary. I believe he's like 30 years old or 31. Uh, I think he's younger than that, man. Very young, young guy. Very yeah. young guy. Um, 
and and he he's he killed it with hereditary by the way so that's another film for another time but mm-hmm. uh midsummer is about a norwegian co- is it norway is it norwegian i think Swe- it's Swe- vaguely somewhere. some sort yeah, of yeah, scandinavian, kind of, yeah, scandinavian it's really yeah it's kind of some kind of sa- scandinavian uh, like i didn't cult. research or anything i'm pretty yeah. sure they made it up but i'm not entirely yeah. sure the the lore i think is is at least from my understanding and i'm by no means a historian but it's pretty accurate on like the old people needing to jump off the cliffs to uh lessen their burden on their families and um just the way they deal with with uh, you totally just spoiled yeah. the picture, though. Oh, by the spoilers. way, spoilers. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, re- not a spoiler. Reverse like spoiler. Spoiler. That go back and don't yeah. listen to what so you just early. said. <laughs> 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 happens so early in the film. Yeah, no, that's true. I've just um, but but yeah, they they spent so much time on detail in that film. Like the director did such a phenomenal job, and and it's just it's one of those that the more it's one of those films you watch. The more you watch, the more details you pick up on, mm-hmm. like the the symbolism, the stuff in the beginning of the film that connects to the end of the film, mm-hmm. and um, it's one of those films where I feel like he spent so much time on the details, every single frame, every single thing that he decides to let you watch in the film, like what he puts on the screen, is purposeful. It's so purposeful. So purposeful. It's so. It's like it's so intense and so purposeful, and it and it creates such a nice wrapped up film by the end of it and mm. when you're at the end and you're like at first you're like well why and then you then you're like you you're, you just get this sense of like i understand mm. like the how why she behaves the way she does at the end and why uh how how from the beginning to the end and the journey to get there uh it just makes so much sense and and it feels like it wouldn't be like that ending totally feels like it wouldn't mm-hmm. it wouldn't be uh, something that you're like, well, why why is she smiling after watching mm-hmm. like all her friends get murdered and people are like wearing her friends? Spoiler. Yeah, spoilers. This whole this, this whole, whole thing, thing is just spoilers. Just, yeah, you shouldn't have listened to it. <laughs> uh, no, one of my favorite things about this this movie too. I'm glad you brought it up, Alex. Yeah, uh, is uh, it's he did he achieved this really well with Hereditary too. Yeah, where the images are so striking. And the um, the set pieces, the environments that you're in, are so striking and so memorable oh, yeah. that like it lives with you in your mind. Like yes, a lot. Uh, most films you see live with you in some way, right? Yes. Like even the ones that you don't really like or whatever. But I can picture Midsummer and and films that achieve this. Like I can picture it vividly in yeah. my mind. Yeah, like almost every. I saw it, you know, seven months ago or whatever, mm-hmm. and I can still picture the colors. I can picture the it's TPs. Like, it's like a watercolor. I painting. can picture the weird straw people. Yeah. I can picture every image in this film, almost like with perfect precision. Yeah, and and that's an, an incredible achievement. I saw an article. Well said. I saw I saw an article um, where uh, the direct. I think it was the. It was either the director or his cinematographer was talking about basically what they were trying to achieve with the film is to push the film as bright as they could possibly go before mm-hmm. like destroying the, the image. extreme. Yeah. yeah. So they, so they, they really wanted to nail, I guess that juxtaposition of, Hey, this is what, what's that? That was he because Ari Aster. Oh, okay. Or so Ari it was, Astor, yeah, the it was the director. director. Yeah, it was the director. Shout out to the director. He's a yeah. Phenomenal director. Great director. <laughs> Shout out to John oh. with the solid, yeah, John. Yeah. solid <laughs> producer, <laughs> producer, John. <laughs> uh, so actually that segues into, what Greg, what you were talking about segues very well into the ne- my next film that I'm going to mention, which is a lesser-known film, very impactful as far as the imagery. And I'll give a little context that I saw this film with, along with uh, my producer George Rudai when we were at the Cannes Film Festival. We were actually trying to see another film that we didn't get a chance to see, and so we oh. we, we ended up seeing this movie from Finland. That on paper, I don't know if I would see this film based off the description. It's a like it has to do with uh, BDSM and like sort of like bo- bondage and you know just like topics that like you You'd know. You'd see this film. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me that. Shit. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's got a bunch of that, naked women in it or whatever. I, I would never. Yeah. I would never. A movie about a dominatrix, <laughs> right? So, but uh, we saw this film, and it it just blew us away. It's called Dogs Don't Wear Pants, and it's from Finland, and just such bold imagery, such bold storytelling, also such a good character-driven film. 
and uh, really just, you know, I, I know that this film didn't have a wide release, and it's a, it's a foreign film, but it's, I can't recommend it enough. It was just, they did such a good job um, just you, really going there. Do you know anything about its release in the States, if that's coming, or is, has it happened? That's a good question. I got to look into it. I don't know anything currently okay. about their distribution deal, but no. I, ho- I hope it does actually get released in theaters over here. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's really worth watching on the big screen. You know, I remember you telling me about that experience. No plans yet, so okay, yeah, mm. I'll find out. You know, once once I hear, we'll give an update. Well, not all of us can go to Cannes. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'd like to thank you in advance for the tickets. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eventually, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. we'll get there. Uh, cool. And you know, maybe. I don't know if you guys want to talk about a third film. You know, what what I'll do is uh, maybe just for the sake of time, I'm just going to mention a couple of other films that I saw in 2019 without going into detail about them. And then I'll mention a, f- a few films that um, that I didn't get a chance to see in 2019 mm-hmm. that I would like to see. So a few other films that I saw that are certainly noteworthy in 2019 are certainly The Peanut Butter Falcon. That was with Shia LaBeouf and mm. uh, and Dakota Johnson and uh, a guy named Zachary. I don't remember his net last name, but he was actually a guy that plays a character with Down syndrome. And actually, they got an mm. actor with Down syndrome, which I thought was well, really, it's really, cool. really cool. That yeah. you know, yeah. um, they pulled it off really well. Great character driven. Glad it wasn't Sean Penn playing someone with Down syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Zachary Gottsigan. Scott Sagan. I hope I'm not uh, butchering his name, mm-hmm. but who, he did a tremendous job. And The Irishman, Scorsese's film, The Irishman, mm-hmm. that was definitely I still a great film of 2019 that, you know, long anticipated and he really delivered on that one. And of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, awesome yeah. film, Tarantino. Probably my number one for the year. Personally. Yeah, great film. So, and then a few other films that are on my list of, you know, top films to see that came out in 2019 that I think all of them, if I'm not mistaken, premiered at Cannes. Uh, the Lighthouse, Parasite certainly mm. won the Palme d'Or Th- at Cannes. That's the one you Same haven't character. seen that you'd like that, to see? Yeah, that haven't seen that are absolutely that's, on my list. That's on my list. By yeah. the way, Parasite yeah. is the I same director that did Memories of Murder. Same yeah. director. Yeah. Phenomenal director. And, and Midsommar. Yeah. And I definitely want to see Midsommar as well. Yeah. Um, you have to see it. But definitely to Parasite at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Parasite's up there for yeah. me too. Yeah, and actually Lighthouse, I haven't seen that one either. Uh, How about you, Greg? So any, any films that you've seen, in, uh, other films that you've seen in 2019 that are noteworthy that you want to just rattle off real sure. quick, and ones that you want to see. Yeah, I mean, obviously the one none of us have mentioned that was probably one of the biggest films of the year is Us. Um, if you haven't seen it, I see haven't it. seen it's it, but I definitely want to see it. That's also on my list. Us is up there. Uh, you could talk for that about that for a while. Um, Knives Out, I saw. Oh, that's also on my list of films to watch. Excellent. Um, and then, you know what? I'm going to give a little shout out to a, a film called Glass, which is right in the beginning of the year it came out. It's probably been forgotten by now, which is unfortunate. But Glass, to me, uh, I'll just say a couple things on it. I, I think is... So I, I'm, I loved Unbreakable. I was okay with Split. And when Glass, the concept for Glass was sort of becoming public, the idea of tying these films together and making it a trilogy, almost like retconning it, like going backwards. It was never the intention necessarily, but we're going to try to tie these things together. I thought it sounded ridiculous. And I'm, I'm a guy who's, I give Shamalan a lot of leeway. I just really love his films. And I, I think he gets a bum rap and I think it's unfair sometimes. Um, so I was really going in with the mindset, like, even for me, this seems like a lot, like, what is this guy trying to do here? And it kind of blew me away. I I was surprised at how well it worked. Um, especially when you consider that it wasn't ever really designed to be that way. At least it didn't seem that way. And, um, you've convinced me, I got to check it out. Yeah. It's just a really fun film and it, and it, it ties the, the story together. It really worked. And, uh, the, the fighting scenes are fun. It's just a fun, fun little flick. Nice. Yeah, that'd be on my list. How about you, Alex? Any films, any other films that you saw? Not on my top 10. Just saying, (laughs) I enjoy it. It's a notable film. It doesn't have to be. (laughs) It's notable. Notable. I'm trying so desperately to find a film that I watched in 2019. 
Uh, don't worry. Listen, um, is there films at least that you would would want to watch that are on? I'm sure Parasite. Is yeah, on Parasite there. is definitely on the top of that list. I here's, think. Here's a sh- I don't, I'm sure you saw one of those. Did you see Ad Astra? Short list. I'm trying so hard to. Oh, Ad Astra is also on my yeah, list of films to watch. I'm a big fan of. It's on my notable. Uh, big fan of the director James Gray, also yeah. a director who I've been following his career since the, since pretty much the early days mm. of his career. He's awesome. So yeah, I, I think as far as 2019 film go, films go, it's just the, the two. There are definitely a lot that I want to see. Um, Lighthouse being one of them, Parasite, mm-hmm. uh, the, the usual um, people, I guess, probably their top ten of 2019 that I haven't had a chance to see yet. Um, one that I do really want to see that I haven't had a chance to see that I don't think anyone's mentioned is Dr. Sleep, which is oh. the sequel to Kubrick's The Shining. And it's a direct sequel. And I've heard it is phenomenal. And I've it, 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 somehow it seems to have gone way, way under the radar. No, Literally mm-hmm. no I'm one I'm talks familiar about with it. I know it's with Ewan mm-hmm. McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Yeah, yeah. want to see that one. Yep. For sure. There were a couple of, of films like that this year that I was looking at this long list of like in preparation. I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about that movie. And that just came out, and I completely mm-hmm. forgot about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, man. Every, everyone has. It's like a, yeah. a, a blank. Everyone just blanks on it for some reason. But That's I, true, because I'm familiar with it, it, but I, yeah. you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't. I think, I think because The Shining, as in particular, as a film, it's, it's such a great film, but there was that whole controversy where Stephen King sort of <laughs> disavowed it, it and yeah. then he made, they made a later version that was late, more mm-hmm. truer to the Stephen King adaptation. So there's that whole convoluted, thing that happened that you know that i've th- heard from i understood that i think for me like that was the whole thing that kind of maybe like that's why uh dr sleep sort of went yeah. under the radar for me of i've heard if he you're a writer like and you have a major novel that gets sold like i don't i've never understood not understanding <laughs> never understood not you, understanding you're giving that up it's your going baby. to change it's, you're, you're giving it up you're giving up it's your baby a yeah. film cannot possibly encapsulate a novel it it's can't a, be done it can't like, be done unless it's you want to make like a seven hour you know epic or something if it's, you sell the ego. rights if you option the rights you sell the rights for somebody else to adapt your work you, yeah. i don't think you have the right to complain i don't think you do either especially when you make as much money as stephen king does <laughs> like but it's, yeah. dude, it's like stephen king and kubrick who are two People Astros. who have huge, huge, huge egos. Huge. So, so, <laughs> absolutely. Each, each one of them is probably thinking, uh, "Well, I did the better job." I'm on the, the I'm you know, master. So it's probably well, yeah. It's that's just it. Like, <laughs> like Kubrick couldn't write the novel. Well, and it comes down King to who's the smartest direct. person have you in the room. Have you ever seen a King directed thing? Yeah. Yeah, terrible. And and it's like <laughs> right. that's that's the reality, right? Yeah. Like, so chill with that. Yeah, yeah I'm you with know? you. Yeah, but I've heard, I have heard that um, it merges seamlessly. Um, Stephen King's idea of what the series should be and Kubrick's idea of what the series should Interesting. be. Interesting. So, you know, yeah, definitely. The, he, the director does a phenomenal job. I'm convinced. Job. I have yeah. to watch it. Didn't now. his son direct something this year and I completely forgot yes. about that too? Yes, it's a show. It's a TV show. Yeah. And it's actually not terrible. A horror TV show? What was yeah, it called? Yeah, it's a horror TV show. I forget the name. It's about like this psychic girl who can pull up yeah. a bridge that takes her places okay. or something. But it's actually pretty good. Yeah, I it's completely actually, forgot yeah. about that Interesting. one Interesting. Yeah. Nice. That was a TV series. So is there any other other films that uh, people want to mention for 2019? So this is a cinema podcast. Are we avoiding television entirely? And I'm okay with that. Okay, I'm going to take a second. I'm just going to take a second. Listen, if that. you if you, if there's there's a show I have that you a wanna, cinematic show. If there's a cinematic show that you want to talk about, I think it's, it's I don't even want to talk table. about it. Just put, just like a notable thing I watched this year. Mention it. Watchmen. All watch right. watch yeah. Watchmen. Yeah. If you like Lindelof, you're going to like the show. I definitely want to watch the show. Yeah. Oh, that's coming up. 1917. Yeah. That's also on my oh, list. Oh, yeah. I can't believe none of this leads us to the bunker list. Did you say you saw it, John? All right. And the bunker list, the best way to describe it is if there was, let's say, some sort of apocalypse was going to happen. Let's say it's like a nuclear holocaust, whatever. you know, And you were going to go into an underground bunker where somehow you could watch movies, right? But you could only pick 50 films from the last 50 years. Now, the rule is... You could only pick one film for each year. So, for example, in 2019, you can't pick Uncut Gems and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You'd have to pick one of the two. Um, same thing for each subsequent year for 2018, you know, and that sort of thing. What would be the films? Now, we're not going to hatch those out now because that would be a whole other episode, and mm-hmm. you know. But that's that's a concept that I want to bring up to future filmmakers that uh, appear on the show is what is their bunker list? 
you know, and I think that'll be future best. filmmakers, except for Alex and I. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys can make a buck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you guys can make a buck. Well, we could put it in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that's a good idea. There you go. You know? put our bunker list on the show notes yeah let's do it i would love to see martin scorsese's bunker list <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's Me a too. bunker list i want to see definitely yeah so i thank you guys appreciate that's you. it that's that's it for this episode thanks and for having us yeah, thank and you this for having fun. yeah this is a great this is a great uh first episode i think and shout out to our producer john d filippo <laughs> shout out to john d filippo, john d. filippo everybody thank you <laughs> thanks everybody so extra special shout out to Yuri Ryback, who created the cool music on the intro and the outro for this podcast. Yuri is the composer for The Smiler, written and directed by Greg Blake, who was a guest on the show today, along with Alex Gray, who DP'd on The Smiler. It's a horror film produced by myself, along with Christina Maldonado, starring Paige Howard, Tim Abu Nasser, and Eva Visco. Look out for it later this year on the festival circuit. We'll also be expanding it and developing this story into a feature. Greg already wrote the feature script, which is pretty fantastic. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks for listening to Film Scene, a podcast about filmmaking and cinema with your host, Seth Cota. Sponsored by Alphabet City Films. Executive producer, Jeff Cutler. Produced by Jonathan DeFilippo. Original score by Yuri Ryback.